Hi there, this is Jeremiah Jenny, and welcome to Barbarians at the Gate. We're coming at you with a very special edition of Barbarians at the Gate today. We're going to talk a little bit about the news of the week, which is, of course, the Hague Tribunal not only ruling against Chinese territorial claims in the South China Sea, but whooping them to the extent that you think that these territorial claims owed the Hague money. James, you have a, a certain conduit into the mind of the Chinese state media. What's the behind-the-scenes propaganda spin going on right now? What kind of theme music, graphic, bullet points can we expect over the next few days? Lots of emphasis on the injustice of it all and of course that the US is the sinister puppet master putting the strings of everybody from the Philippines to Hanoi to the little fishies around the rocks. And I think that's actually a really important part of this too that keeping the emphasis on the US being behind it uh, is really important for China diplomatically and domestically. Domestically because when the issue is presented as China versus the West or China versus those kind of powers that like to burn down summer palaces, that's something they can spin pretty easily. The media can spin that pretty easily. But when it's China versus the rest of the world, when it's China versus the international order, that doesn't spin quite so well. So you have these countries like the Philippines, Vietnam, Indonesia, that you would think for reasons of both geography and shared colonialist past would have common cause with China. And yet they're the ones who are on the other side. I think what's funny, too, is that there's not really a clear Chinese image of the Philippines as a threat. There's a patronizing image. There's Filipinos, are, you know, those people who, who come to clean Hong Kong or just not thought about at all. They're poor and backwards. So they can't be made into a convincing enemy. Whereas the U.S. and, of course, its, it's evil buddy Japan, who is the, the other power that gets blamed for this. Um, and we've seen that with the big emphasis on the Japanese judge uh, at the tribunal. They're, they're reassuring threats. They, they make sense to Chinese people. They make sense to the public. And I think that's also, honestly, the way that the, the people in, at the top think. They are, it's not just a propaganda pose. They are genuinely convinced that the black hand of the U.S. is behind everything. Of course, you'll get these things which are like, you know, the U.S. is behind all this, yada, yada, yada. And it is forcing a return to Cold War thinking. Well, it seems like already that Cold War thinking is in place or in some ways exacerbates this feeling among the Chinese leadership that they're in an ideological death roll with the West over the control of both international, the international message, you know, China's reputation around the world, but also domestically that these Western liberal values, peaceful evolution, are, are really just subversive forces looking to carry out regime change. You have to believe that something like this, when it happens, it's just going to convince those hardliners in the government that they were absolutely and 100% correct. And if there are any internationalists left among the top leadership in, uh, in the PRC, it, it would seem that this would certainly weaken their position. It's interesting. I've been reading about the Soviet Union in its last throes. And the language now in China is very similar to the language of the uh, under sort of late stage Brezhnev, Andropov, Chernikov, uh, the language of ideological threat of er of everything being framed in these stark terms. And I suspect that if you looked at the terms that the Soviet Union was used to defend itself against uh, things like the invasion of Afghanistan, you'd find similar condemnations of international law, similar f a similar feeling that the whole world is against us. And certainly we see this in a lot of the, the rhetoric even before this, and, and it's hard to imagine that, that the government's not feeling somewhat isolated right now. I think they expected to lose, or what they're calling it now, they're not calling it a ruling, right? Calling it an award. A ruling sounds too definite, sounds as though it has force. Trying to avoid describing it as a court, too. It's always like the tribunal or the ad hoc tribunal. So there's a lot of semantics going on here, and, and I suspect I suspect that the state media, the government, 
the spin masters were gearing up for this. I think everybody was pretty sure that China was going to lose. But I, but this afternoon when the when the ruling was announced this afternoon, Beijing time, I think what took most observers by surprise. And I have a, I have a feeling it may have taken some of the people in the government too by surprise was just how complete and thorough the rejection of China's claims was at The Hague. You get the sense that China was expecting, or the Chinese government was expecting, that some of these things would be ruled in favor of the Philippines, but they'd get a few in their favor, and then they could focus on the few in their favor as a way of bolstering their claims, but they got nothing. And in particular, the condemnation of the idea that the nine-dash line represents anything in legal or historical terms was a blow not just to the claims against the Philippines, but to China's entire position in the South China Sea. The whole idea of the nine-dash line in the first place, of course, depends on this idea that you can somehow replicate the spheres of influence of ancient empires as if they were lines on a map today. Whereas, the, you know, the truth is that until very recently, borders were shaded, flexible things. That It was a matter of how far your power could reach, not of how clearly it was demarcated on a map. And that goes triply so at sea where it really isn't until the 20th century that the clear lines are drawn about, you know, whose waters are whose, and even now they're not that clear. Yeah, I have to say that as a historian, nothing makes me crazier than when I hear journalists or politicians begin a sentence with, history says or history proves, because history doesn't say or prove anything. When you, when you start a sentence like that, all you're telling me is that you have absolutely no idea how the study of history actually works. Not to say that the Chinese government really has a firm grip on how the study of history works, but they seem to be going back to this inherent territory, territorial integrity, historic islands, you know, giant clams in the Qing dynasty who were happily frolicking. It's just a lot of bollocks, really. And, and I, it's probably the weakest part in some ways of their argument is that we have these long-standing historical claims. We found a fisherman who has a map. Can you show us the map? Well, we really can't show you the map because the map might be damaged. Oh, no, it, maybe it doesn't exist. But, you know, there was a map. So there's a kind of magical thinking about it, the idea that the map makes the territory, and that if you can dig up some 1933 U.S. children's encyclopedia, that'll demonstrate convincingly that that was the position of the U.S. government at the time. You get to this great power autism, this Chinese habit. And it's not just Chinese, all great powers do it, Russia, India, America. This idea that if something was on a map or, or in a document published in the U.S., it must therefore have been approved by the U.S. government. Because what government doesn't assiduously check every territorial reference in order to make sure it conforms with the standard imposed from above? And I, I do think, and this doesn't apply domestically, obviously, I think this is much more of an international issue, but the more that they, they pull out these children books and these arcane maps, it, it really just makes the whole argument seem quite weak and ephemeral. And, and I think that's something that, frankly, the, the government today was, as well I say, I think they were hoping for at least a little something, like the, the tribunal to throw them a bone. There was nothing, and I was watching the, the Xinwen Lianbo, the, the nightly news tonight, it was shrill. They had multiple commentators tagging in and tagging out with bullet points, and then finally they went to the usual, oh, we're going to find a few foreign talking heads, and then we're going to do voiceover and selective edit, so they kind of sound like they agree with whatever bullshit we're spewing today. But it was striking to me just how empty a lot of the rhetoric was. And my concern, what are we looking for in the next you know, few days or a week, either coming out of the state media, statements by the government, or are we, should we even kind of hunker down and expect you know, a certain amount of protests or, or maybe a, 
a quick spike in xenophobia, not unlike we've seen in other critical moments where China has felt that the international community has wronged them. I think we'll see it from the media and from official organizations. It's a good time to make sure all your papers are in order, for sure. I wouldn't expect it from the public just because I don't think the anti-Americanism catches in the same way that anti-Japanese feelings they did in the riots a few years ago. It can do, but only when there's been a very direct insult or a feeling of assault by the US against China um, straightforwardly. I think the the generalized paranoia really doesn't seem to have caught with ordinary people in the same way. Yeah, the papers in order thing is a probably is a pretty good idea. You know, we've heard a lot. Again, we're recording here in Beijing, and we've heard a lot over the past couple of weeks. Uh, police raids, certainly a couple of the more popular night spots, or one in particular, Modernista, was raided a couple of weeks ago. Everyone who didn't have their papers in order was forced to take a drug test, and people were deported who who failed that test. On the other hand, it's a good time to be a grifter with a degree in international law and absolutely no morals because you can get a, a gig at a Chinese think tank tomorrow, right? Thank you, James. Well, we'll keep an eye out for what's going on in the coming week in terms of the South China Sea ruling and what the implications are going to be here in Beijing. Join us again next time for Barbarians at the Gate.